0: Jesus' name, Amen. So I suppose in in various uh, contexts, in various uh, circumstances, I was trying to work it out. I've been uh, preaching now for um, something like 15 or 16 years of my life. And I have to say this that last Sunday morning at St. Peter's was one of the more solemn experiences that I've had in preaching the gospel. Now if you are here and if you can recall what we looked at last time out, maybe you will see almost immediately what I mean by the solemnity of it. Were you here? Can you remember? We looked uh, last time out at King David and his sin. Isn't that where we started? The fact that, yes, first he had committed adultery, hadn't he? He had gotten pregnant, another man's wife. Then what? Then David had tried to cover his tracks, hadn't he? By having Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, ha- having him killed. But it, it didn't quite stop there, did it? I think last week we looked at that moment in 2 Samuel 12, where through... His prophet, Nathan, what happened? But God intervened, didn't he? And he disturbed David's conscience leading, causing the king to repent. A repentance that you and I have detailed in this psalm that John has kindly read for us today. It was solemn, wasn't it, to think about David's sin, but it was solemn largely also to see in that, Sam, to see something of our own need and our own iniquity. There was a solemnity to it. Well, by now, we really know the psalm, don't we? We had it read last week, and we have read it again today. So I I want really to start by asking you this. As you consider this psalm in its entirety, what would you say is David's main concern? You've got Psalm 51 before you. We've read it. What would you say is David's overarching uh, desire here? What would you say would you say david fundamentally longs to be forgiven for his sin is that what we would say well i i'm not so sure i think this morning what is going to come out of this middle section of the psalm is actually david's longing to be restored to intimate fellowship with god that that is his great longing in the psalm to be restored you can see it hopefully can you I mean, because of the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, there is this coldness that's come in, this tension, there's this apparent separation for David in his relationship with God. And David longs for that to change. He's desperate to get back to to an intimate, close relationship with God. And as I say that to you, isn't it the case that here at St. Peter's this morning, Surely some of us are in exactly that same boat. A longing to be restored to intimate fellowship with God. And there's some of us in here conscious of our sin weighed down because of our sin. And desperate to be brought back, brought back to know the nearness of our God. Well, we've seen the overarching desire. What we're going to do today is consider what that restoration actually looks like. So David wants that, but how does he speak about the restoration? What does it look like? And this is the thing you need to hear and you need to get. At every juncture of this sermon, at every point along this journey, what we're going to do is we're going to stop and we are going to turn to face the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about restoration and what it looks like and how it's broken up by David, at every point we turn to see Jesus Christ is the answer. Friend, today, Jesus Christ can restore you to that intimate fellowship with God. So, if we've got um, Psalm 51 open in front of us, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make a start. The first thing that we're going to see is this that David desires cleansing for. Uh, restoration. So he desires cleansing for restoration. And um, if you're visiting, uh, don't worry. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, what we'll try and do occasionally is put up some of the verses on the screens. Uh, but that's the first thing. David desires cleansing for restoration with God. So I, I have just said, haven't I, that we are familiar with this, psalm. Uh, okay, so if you've been a member uh, or a part of a free church congregation for any length of time, you have, you have sung Psalm 51 254,000 times or, or there or there about. So, okay, we know this psalm. We sing this psalm. Because of its content, we sing it often. Now, even with that and your familiarity with this psalm, I wonder this. Have you ever paused to consider really the opening verse of our section here uh, in verse 7. In fact, I wonder if we could just put it up on, on the screen here, verse 7. Do, do uh, you sung, how many times have we sung this? But how much have you wrestled with these words? It depends, again, I suppose on the translation you've got. It may say purge or cleanse. It's the same idea, but come on, people, have we wrestled with this? It's so easy to our lips. Purge me with hyssop. <laughs> Purge me with hyssop on earth. Are we dealing with there? Really, though? Uh, well, well, hyssop, of, of course, we know is a plant. I'll, uh, I was looking at it this week. It's a pretty strange, weird-looking plant. Uh, it's a plant that what used to happen in the ancient worlds? people would... would pluck it take it and they would push it together bunch it up in order to form something of a brush they would take hyssop and and almost make something like a paintbrush out of hyssop in the ancient world And, and here's the thing there are in the ancient world there's a couple of occasions in the old testament where hyssop plays a crucial role now If I were to test you on that, would you get them? The the, the couple of instances, at least, in the Old Testament where hyssop plays a a crucial role, what might you say to your minister? You you might say, yeah, the Passover. No? We know that, don't we? We know that in the Passover, that a substance had to be administered to the door frames, the lintels of a home to provide protection, But what was used to administer that substance? Can we remember? Yes, we can. Hyssop was used to do that. Now, that's important, but not quite, for our purposes, not quite as important as the other occasion in God's uh, word. So this is important to get, please. So in Leviticus, way back in Leviticus 14, we are told how in the ancient world, in the, the camp of Israel we are told of how people with leprosy or really very, very serious skin disease, we are told of how they were to be treated. Can you remember it? So if you had leprosy in the the ancient world, and the people of Israel, what you would do is you would go to the priest outside the camp. And what the priest would do is he would take sip and he would bunch it up And the priest would sprinkle upon you liquid using the hyssop and he would do that to the leper, to those with serious skin disease and he would do that and he would declare that person then clean. Now hang on a second, friends. Do you not see how that sheds light on what we have on the screen on David's prayer here? Think about how he is addressing God, what he's saying to God. He's saying to God in prayer, God, you purge me. You cleanse me with hyssop. Do, Do you see? David is portraying to us God as the priest. God is the great priest. God is the one, David recognizes, the only one who can declare him clean. So you have that. But also, don't you see how David understands his sin? David fully and properly gets that connection that is made so often in the Old Testament between sin and leprosy, sin and serious skin disease. Do you see the connection? Our sin, friends, like serious skin disease, it covers us. Our sin, it wastes us away. Our sin, just like leprosy, it renders us, you and I, defiled, unfit for fellowship. Do do you see? Do you see the connection? So we get the imagery, but if you're following me just now, I think you recognize that I have missed something out. Did you get it? Do you see what I have missed out? Uh, I've said repeatedly that hyssop was used for sprinkling liquid for cleansing the question of course is what was that liquid? we know the answer don't we? so yes in the Passover but critically in Leviticus 14 with the leper hyssop was used to sprinkle blood not just blood though cleansing with hyssop came from the blood of a sacrificial animal didn't it? Hyssop was used to clean with the blood of a substitutionary animal. Cleansing with hyssop think of it cleansing with hyssop came through a sacrifice being made. And so perhaps as you sit here familiar, familiar as you are with Psalm 51 you now see the grounds upon which David is making this plea to almighty God. You can see it can you? David is not saying in the Psalm, Lord Let me off of my sin. I am really sorry. And David is not saying, Lord, please cleanse me. And I promise you, I will pull up my socks. No, look, purge me with hyssop. Purge me with hyssop. David, cut to the heart, is making this appeal based on atonement. Based on atoning blood. It's, Lord, please clean me. Look at the blood that's been spilled on my behalf by another. It is as though David here understands what the book of Hebrews later makes so abundantly clear. What does Hebrews say? Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. David understands that and that forms the basis of his appeal. Now, let me return to the beginning of this sermon. Remember what I said at every single juncture here, confronted with a psalm, you and I pause, and we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think for all of us, we can see here why it's so easy to do that. I just want you to remember this. To remember the first part of our to remember the sacrament that you have witnessed today at St. Don't you see? Yes, these Old Testament rituals that I've just mentioned. But this baptism here today with Timothy, it exists to declare to you and to remind you of one crucial fundamental truth. What is it? Ah, there is forgiveness. There is cleansing available, and all through that spilt blood of Jesus Christ. You see it, don't you? Baptism declares what the cleansing with that leper foreshadowed. What is it? At Calvary! At the cross, a one true forever atoning sacrifice was made. A cleansing is real. And it's available through Jesus' blood. And so I ask you, are you someone who has drifted away as a Christian? I mean, do you recognize it in your own heart just now? We use that term backslidden. Examine your heart. Is that true? Some of you. Don't you see on the screen what David is giving you. God today gives you the words to say if you've drifted up, Christian friend. God is giving you here the prayer to pray. You can cry out, Lord, purge me with hyssop. Lord, look at the blood that was spilled on my behalf on the basis of what Christ has done. Oh God, make me clean and restore me to you. So we see, first of all, David desires cleansing for restoration. Second of all, we see that David desires the joy of restoration. The joy of restoration. Can I state now what I think especially um, some of the older Christians in the room or those who have been Christians for longer. Let me state something that I am sure if you are a mature believer, you would affirm is this, sin sin always leads to misery. I think if you're an older believer, if you've been a Christian for any length of time truly, you can affirm that sin looks attractive very often. Sin looks delightful. It seems to offer these delights. But the mature Christian here knows that sin always, 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 always breaks its promise. Sin comes to us bearing, I was going to say discontentment, but it's significantly more than that. Sin comes to us and breeds in our life a dis-ease. Discontentment, yeah, fine. But a true and profound unhappiness is brought by sin, isn't it? If you're aware of that reality in your life, I'm pretty sure you would agree that the way that David speaks about that misery of sin here in this psalm, it sums it up beautifully it doesn 't it maybe you can see it yourself if you 've got scripture there, so yes, in verse nine, if you look at verse nine you 'll see that he, he mentions kind of the shame of sin doesn 't sin bring shame, but look at it, just as Adam hid in the garden in verse 9 what's the language do you see david wants his sin hidden from god or he wants god to hide from his sins such as the, the the shame of this so we have that but there is another aspect which is even more affecting i think so i'll ask esther if she'll put up verse eight here and, and consider what david says about his bones do, do you see what he says Speaking of his sin, look at this. Bones broken. Just please, please linger on it. In relation to sin, he talks about, what's the metaphor in the image? Broken bones. Do you not think, do you not agree? That is such evocative language. It is almost graphic. Isn't it? He's broken, he's broken bones. But you can see exactly what it is that David is describing. Listen, because of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, what's the word? Does David not feel, because of his sin, absolutely crushed by the sense of God's displeasure? That's it, isn't it? He's crushed by a sense of God's displeasure here. My bones are broken. That God has revealed his sin to David. David is confronted by this sin. And the guilt, man, it weighs so heavily on him. And the sense of displeasure is so substantial that David, with his sin, he feels almost in just, just physical Pain. His bones are crushed. Now, because of that reality, is it miserable? Because of that reality, it's not a surprise to you or I to see for what he cries out. In fact, you can see it there because it's there twice on the screen. What does he cry out for? Do you notice it's joy? Do you see it? Joy and gladness and the bones you have, rejoice. He's crying out for joy, but then what sort of joy is this? would you follow the clues look at look at verse 12 with me so yes in verse 12 do you see that it's a restored joy so it's something actually that david has tasted before this joy but then look at this right behind me here look at the first words do you notice that it is a heard joy let me hear joy what's that again be the leper could that not be the image of this leper he is now cleansed by god by this purging with hyssop what happens with the leper at that stage he is now allowed back into the community for the first time in so long he's allowed back and what does he hear he hears the songs of of praise and worship to his god you can see it can't you see it what sort of joy is this? This is the joy of restored walking with God. This is the joy that comes with a sense and a knowledge of the forgiveness of sin. What sort of joy is this? This is the greatest joy. This is the joy of restored intimacy and harmony with the God that David loves. That's the joy. Now, Christian friend, let me bring this to your door is it the case that this morning as you come into st peters you are thoroughly weighed down by a sense of your sin you come through the door and and we all feel perhaps like hypocrites as we come into church but is that hypocrisy weighing down on you because of the habits of your sin or just the absolute severity of your sin, are you almost unable to function because of that word, because you feel crushed, crushed by a sense of of God's displeasure at your sin, then if you are a believer, let me remind you of what you already know. Right now, you have only one place to turn and you must today turn back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you know it is only Jesus. As you are weighed down and crushed by a sense of your sin, it is only Jesus who can say to you, come to me because my yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And isn't it amazing as a Christian to to remember how it is that Christ Jesus can offer you that restoration today? How can he do that? I mean, you're so sinful. I am so sinful. How can Christ bring us to that intimacy with God? What is the word I keep using? Christ Jesus has not just been weighed down for you. Christ Jesus, out of love for you, he has been crushed. On that cross, out of love for you, he has been crushed and crushed for your iniquity. So, David desires this cleansing. He desires joy. The third thing is that David desires the renewal of restoration. The renewal of uh, restoration. I have never done this before. I was thinking about that this week. I've never done this before. Um, So, in those 15 or 16 years of preaching, of course, preach through Psalms hundreds of times. I've preached Psalms. We've done it in the prayer meeting. Preached in Psalms here uh, on a Sunday service, morning and evening in the past, and in London when I was there. I have never done this. So I have never paused to break up a Psalm and to explore it in a bit more depth over a number of weeks. Never, never done that before. And so, because of that, I'm kind of conscious of a particular danger for us. And that's the danger of today you and I having too narrow a gaze. Do you see what I mean that we could focus so much on this middle section that we could fail to take into account what comes after it or what comes before and what we looked at last week? So I, I'm going to ask you a favor, please. Can, can you try to bring to mind what it was that David said about his sin last time out? Can we remember? We can remember. Yes, David said that ultimately his sin was an offense against God, you, you surely we remember the words against you You only have I sinned? But then more than that, can you recall what David said about the depths of his sin? You can, can't you? He said that this evil with Bathsheba, it flowed from what? It flowed from his nature. Wasn't that right? He had inherited a corruption. And this evil with Bathsheba flowed out of a a heart that was wicked, a nature that was wicked. You remember the words, don't you? In sin did my mother conceive me. Where did it start, this sin? In the womb. That's what what he's saying. Well, if we are going to understand what David says here and next, I think we need to bear that in mind. So again, let's bring it up, verse 10. Let's have a look at this. Just read it with me. What does he say? What is this heartfelt, if you'll allow it? What's the appeal? He says, create in me a clean heart God. If we're going to get it, do you know what I think we've got to do? I think we've got to put together uh, just a couple of pieces of the jigsaw together to see what he's saying here. So we've got the first piece. So that is David's sinful nature. We've got the first piece. The second piece is to think about the, the actual term that he is using here. This is easy. To be, to be honest, this create in me a clean heart. Where else do you think in the Bible do you think that uh, we find the same verb? Create a clean It's obvious, isn't it? Genesis 1. Do you see what that means? So David is actually pleading for something entirely new. He is appealing for a work of God's creation. So that's our second piece of the jigsaw, the terminology. The third piece of the jigsaw is to think about or to notice on the screen how comprehensive this appeal is. Because what does he say? He's got creating me a clean, what, clean heart. What's the next bit? Renew a right spirit. So he's got an appeal for a new heart and a new spirit. So this is an appeal to be just and an appeal for a new central control controlling area of the person, but also an appeal for a new seat of emotions. Can you see the nature of the appeal? I'll spell it out. David, surely on bended knee, is here crying to God to be radically, inwardly transformed. He can see that it is not enough for a person simply to be forgiven. I hope you hear that loud and clear. It is not simply enough for a person's sins to be blotted out and wiped away. David recognizes that if he is going to live for God's honor and not slip back into sins like that with Bathsheba, that he needs to be internally, completely, radically reformed. And so that's the nature of his appeal. Lord, renew me. Create a new nature in me. Lord God, transform me, please. And do it radically and utterly. Now, as we apply this for our congregation in here, I think we have to bear in mind and keep in focus who David is and what David is. Because I want to say to you, David is a saved man. I mean, you can see that in verse 12. He says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. So this is a regenerate man. Do you see what that means for you? It means primarily the application here is for you if you're a Christian. You see the words that you have in front of you on the screen? They are a marvelous prayer for you to pray today, just now, later this week. Even if you've been a Christian for decades and decades and decades, it is a good thing for you to cry out to God, renew me, create in me a new heart, oh God. Change me. Give me a real burning passion to follow your ways and to pursue holiness. But don't you agree with me? It would be utterly remiss of us, faced with those words on the screen, not to just at least for a second address the people in this room who are not Christians and the people who are joining online just now. If that's you, if you're, if you're not a Christian, we talk about being born again. If you are not a Christian, I, I, and perhaps it's, maybe it's the first time that you've joined the, the live feed or maybe it's one of the first times that you've come to church here at St. Peter's. If that's the case, I want to say you've timed things beautifully. <laughs> Because as we go into the depths of Psalm 51 and see these words, listen to me. Today, you are confronted with your greatest need. Right now, God confronts you with your greatest need. Now, you might not recognize that. You might think your greatest need is a better relationship or more money. (laughs) Bigger house, better health, better job and more satisfaction. No. No. God confronts you there on that screen in these words with your greatest need. Spiritually speaking, because of your sin, you lie in a hospital bed. Spiritually speaking. And if you're not a Christian, your need is the fact that you need at this moment a full and complete heart transplant. (laughs) That's your predicament. And here's the wonder of the gospel Though so it is God you offend by your sin, it is God who offers you freely in the gospel that new heart. Though you offend God, God offers you that new heart. If you repent and believe, this is what Jesus does. He takes from you a heart of stone and Jesus Christ replaces it with a heart of flesh. Isn't that marvelous? If you repent and believe, Scripture tells us what happens is we become united to Christ. And then God gives us a promise. A promise for all of those in that predicament. God says, if you are in Christ, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If you are not a Christian here see your need, and see that today, Christ Jesus can give you a new nature. He can renew your heart. And then we close with us, so we a cleansing, a joy, renewal. Last thing, we see that David desires the presence of uh, restoration. Very briefly, the presence of restoration. Um, a little while ago, just uh, about a week ago, one of my friends uh, was speaking to me and asked me this. He asked me, Andy, what are, your, what are you scared of? What, Andy, what is your greatest fear? I hate that sort of question. <laughs> I am a Scottish Highlander. You know, I'm supposed to be <laughs> tough and strong. Uh, and let me, let you into a little secret between you and me, <laughs> yeah, and YouTube. Um, between us, as a Scottish Highlander, I'm a little bit scared of spiders, which which really is a bit pathetic, isn't it? It's not particularly manly. As we close, very briefly, we see David, King David, speak of a fear, and I genuinely think it is one of the great fears that we can have in the Christian life. Let's put it on the screen to end with us. Verse 11 He says, cast me not away from your presence. Please read the the second part of it, the parallel line. And then David prays, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, I hope it is clear to everyone in the room that this does not mean that the Holy Spirit can be completely removed from a regenerate believer. We all understand that, don't we? This is not the idea that a person can be unsaved. If we'll allow that, John chapter 10, nothing can snatch us out of Christ's hand. We know that, but in order to see what David means, bear a couple of things in mind. First, the context. Think about what he's just witnessed with Saul. Do we know that in 1 Samuel 16? He's just seen Saul have the presence of God be removed from him. David's seen this happen. And then, look at the parallel line to see it in in the Hebrew parallel. Do Do you see? He says, cast me not away, O God, from your presence. Do you see what he's scared about? Do you see what he's frightened of? He is fearful of losing the felt sense. Of God's nearness. He's not scared of being condemned. He's not scared of being thrown into the fires of hell and being rejected, but he is scared of ceasing to know the nearness of God. You know, that, that sweetness of knowing God's guidance and, and, and nearness, that's his fear. And I, am I not right in saying that we are in exactly the same predicament often? You and I, as Christians, we know how beautiful it is to feel God with us. And how deeply we need the Holy Spirit. How we delight. How sweet it is, isn't it? To know the ministry of the Holy Spirit when he teaches us and draws near to us and we sense that and know that. What a thought for that failed sense to be removed. And so I really end with one practical suggestion for you all. A wise man once said to me, he said, Andy, prayer is like jazz. If you're a musician, maybe you'll get it. What does a jazz musician like to do? They'll take a scale, a pentatonic scale, normal scale, and they'll use it as a guide, won't they? They use it as a template, but if you're a jazz musician, you know, what do you do? You, You improvise, don't you? You take the beginning of that scale and you, you, you move off. Yes, you start with it, but you, you wander a bit and you come back to the scale and then you improvise a bit and you come back. Oh, St. Peter's, is that not what we need to do with Psalm number 51? Are you a believer today who weighed down with a sense of your sin, feeling yourself drift away, Are you a believer who longs to be restored to an intimate fellowship with God? Then this week you take this psalm, even this afternoon you take this psalm, take it as your guide and make this psalm your own. Pray these words, wander, improvise, claim the words as you cry out to God. And as you do that, do not lose sight of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. I can stand and say, if you're truly regenerate, the Holy Spirit will never leave you. The Holy Spirit of God will never leave you. Why? And then we look at the words, and we remember what Christ has endured for us at Calvary. Christ Jesus has been cast away at Golgotha from his Father's presence for you. The Lord Jesus Christ has known that sense of abandonment. We will never be cast away because the Lord Jesus Christ for us was truly forsaken. And today, such as his love, it is he who can restore us to an intimate fellowship with our God. May his name be praised. Let's pray. O oh God in heaven, we thank you for this, this Psalm. O oh Lord, perhaps we ought to ask forgiveness for how quickly we sing it without truly wrestling with what the Psalm declares. But we thank you that this is not just a prayer, but it is to the choir, Master. We thank you that we as a congregation in the next moments get to sing this to you in worship and praise. So we ask that there would be a working of the Holy Spirit that as we sing it in a moment that we would mean it and that you would bring us back as a congregation on masse to a restoration with you. Grant us, Lord God, the joy we had. Bring us to yourself. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So to conclude our time of worship this morning, we're going to sing uh, Psalm number 51. Psalm 51. uh, We'll work to sing the middle section of the psalm together in worship of God. For I know my own transgressions, You can see my sinful plight. You, you only I've offended and done evil in your sight. So your words are verified and your verdict justified and so on. And we'll stand as we sing to the praise of our God. Psalm 51.